0: Adam's like, shut up! Uh, Adam's like, shut up <laughs> and get going. Stupid, <laughs> big mouth, David. Okay.
1: Hey, David. Hi,
0: Amy. How was your week this
1: week?
0: My week was quiet. The one is in New York City, so I'm alone. But I like to cook pasta when I'm alone.
2: Mm -hmm. So
0: it's been pasta, 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 pasta. So I don't know if you know, but The Essentials of Italian Cooking by Marcello Hazan, the 30th anniversary edition is either out or will be out depending upon when this podcast airs. And so I have just been pouring through it again and it's been updated. And so I made her Alfredo. Mm. And, you know, I always thought Alfredo was this really schlocky kind of dish, Yeah, it has those like Olive
1: Garden vibes. Not to make fun of that, but, you know, the the kind (laughs) of heavy... Olive Garden vibes,
0: total. This was so marvelously creamy and rich and elegant and so incredibly easy. And so I made that and then also her Bolognese... Which mm-hmm. I adore. And I'm gonna be making this weekend her tomato, onion, and butter sauce. Oh, Have you that heard sauce about that? Is so
1: iconic. Yeah.
0: Never made it.
1: Have you made it? It's yes. And it's it's just incredible what butter does for the tomatoes. You know, that it just softens the acidity, heightens mm-hmm. the sweetness, gives it a depth. It's so good.
0: Yeah, I can't wait to make it. So I'm going to surprise the one this weekend when he comes back and I'm going to make homemade noodles.
1: Oh, nice.
0: Homemade pasta. So that's kind of where I'm at. How about you? What's your week been like?
1: So, you know, I think you must have this as well. When you do recipe development, you're often working a few seasons Mm -hmm. ahead to to stay on top of deadlines. So for Yankee Magazine right now, I'm working on the January issue, even though it's early fall. (laughs) Well, last night I made the most beautiful raclette feast. So oh my I'm God. Doing raclette a story. in January. I know. Ooh. Well, it's perfect in January, right? It is, um, but you
0: people always <laughs> want to lose weight in January. Raclette. <laughs> right, <I'm> oh, like- <laughs> my gosh. I'm with you.
1: So <laughs> I'm doing a story about this wonderful place in Maine called Topsil Farm, and they do Raclette mm-hmm. dinners every weekend. They're up in Waldoboro on the coast. It's an amazing place. Look it up, T O P S-apostrophe L, Topsail Farm. It's like a glamping resort and they do these wonderful winter dinners. So I was working on a way to do raclette for your family if you don't have that raclette machine. Raclette is a melted cheese. It's kind of like fondue except you melt this wonderful cheese called raclette and And you you serve it with all this yummy stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So I just did it in a skillet. I just surrounded it with, you know, some prosciutto and some roasted veggies and some French bread and cornichons. So what kind of cheese were you melting? It was raclette cheese from oh, raclette. Switzerland. Of course, yeah. raclette cheese. But the really fun thing I made this week was I was doing a radio segment with GBH mm-hmm. Radio uh, with Callie Crossley on her show, and we sure. were cooking from celebrity cookbooks and we were kind of giving a rundown of recent celebrity cookbooks, and I got to make. Snoop Dog's Mac and Cheese. And it's spelled ah. M-A-C-K. <laughs> I have to say.
0: That's so Snoop.
1: <laughs> <laughs> he's he's it's a fun book. It was so good. There was it is really? no form of butter fat that is not in this dish. I mean, it's got <laughs> five cups of cheddar, a cup of cream, a cup of sour cream, whole milk, and mm-hmm. butter. Four tablespoons of butter. Oh my gosh! And, and it's delicious. Like it's got it's really well seasoned. So it's got um, mustard powder, a lot of it, which is which I love in a mac and cheese. Worcestershire sauce, cayenne pepper, salt, mm-hmm. and pepper. David, it was honestly. I think it was the best mac and cheese. That
0: sounds incredible. I've
1: made other than this one that I do, which is like inspired by fondue and is made with wine and mm-hmm. Comte and Gruyere, and it's really delicious. Ooh, but wow, that for sounds like a, delicious too. It's really good. But for a classic, do you think
0: Martha helped Snoop?
1: I wonder. But no, this felt like very you know, soul but, food. This is like real sort of soul so, food, Southern mm-hmm. classic mac and cheese. It was amazing.
0: You have got to give me the recipe because there's not a mac and cheese I've met that I don't like. It's Not dangerous
1: one. to have, but it's delicious. <laughs> All the, You put half the cheese on top and it gets, it almost forms like a frico layer. It gets a little crispy at oh, the edges. Yeah. You know? yeah, yeah. So yeah, it's online. You can find it. I do recommend it if you want that super rich kind of mac and cheese experience.
0: What's nice about it, it's such an American classic, a Southern American classic, but an American classic.
1: Yeah, well, speaking of American classics, we have mm. a guest today who... Yeah. It's John Cannell of the Preppy Kitchen and his food, I love his food because he does take classics, American classics, Mexican classics. He's got a really diverse, but Greek classic. He's got a lot, he's got a French, Canadian, Greek, Mexican background. He puts a really lovely, fresh spin on it. And often with a real sensitivity to the needs of home cooks who are just doing everyday cooking. So things are Mm -hmm. fairly streamlined, but then he'll go fancy for special occasions. Anyway. He has a great sense for how to cook with classics.
0: He really does. And like Eric Kim, who was so gentle and so genuine, John Mm -hmm. has that same authenticity, that genuineness, and well, just listen and you'll see what we're talking about. Welcome to the show, John. Thanks so much for having me, David and Amy.
1: And congratulations on publishing your first cookbook, Aptly Named Preppy Kitchen, Recipes for Seasonal Dishes and Simple Pleasures. But before we dive into that, we will talk about that. But let's talk a little bit about how you, with your degree in fine arts, went from being a Mm. middle school teacher with your husband, Brian, how he went from being a Hollywood agent, and now you are this food blogging power couple.
0: The power couple. Oh my gosh!
1: (laughs) That sounds real. That's a real setup. That's a lot of. Yeah, that's a big setup. How did you guys end up making this transition (laughs) to this really cool career? Let me put it that way. Well,
3: I'm going to take you back a little bit and just say that Brian and I were like planning on starting a family and having kids, and because there's some planning involved, we got to think about like what should things be like. Mm -hmm. And Brian had a very like intense job in the entertainment industry, and I was a teacher. I love teaching and having that relationship with my students and the parents and like the faculty, it's like one big family, but you don't get flexible time off. You get some time yeah. off, it's very generous, but you can't say like, I'm gonna come in late. I wanna spend some more time with the kids this morning. <laughs> so yeah. that works. Yeah. So Brian encouraged me to do a pivot and take my love of education and my love of food and create preppy kitchen. So he was like, you know, I bet you could do this. You're, you're good at kitchen stuff. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, and you can learn food photography. <laughs> so, <laughs> oh yeah, you can learn that that's easy. That's how it came about. And I had taken photography courses, but they are conceptual art photography courses, which are very different. <laughs> Not <Yes>. at all <laughs> for food. So I worked really hard on that and improved my skills on that front. Mm-hmm. And like, you know, lessons along the way. Like I had this lemon cake. It was one of my first recipes I put up on Preppy Kitchen. And I was so proud of it. I was like, oh, it's luscious. It melts in your mouth. It's frosting is full of like this tangy flavor. It's not cloying. And he was like, <laughs> patted me on the shoulder. He's like, you know, no one can taste your food on Instagram. It has to look pretty too. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I, was like, <laughs> I was like, oh my gosh. <laughs> it, was like, it was like a nice homey cake. So yeah. I took some of my, um, my art degree wherewithal, and I applied it to the food to make it a bit more aesthetic, and mm-hmm. I found there was so much pleasure in that as well, where you can mm-hmm. like take the palette from your paintings and have it rendered in buttercream, or do mm-hmm. all sorts of things just to make the moment more special for people seeing your food for the first time, but also for people who are at your table, and you know, like when we're together at a table, it's one of those rare moments where tangible things are happening. We're not on a phone, we're not on a computer, hopefully. Mm-hmm. It's a special moment, and as a host or someone who makes the food, you can show your guests how special it is with a few extra flourishes in your meal. Mm-hmm. And it could be a little bit of mulled sea salt sprinkled on top, or mm-hmm. it could be an elaborate dessert that you went all out on and you're really saying, I love you, food is love, let's have mm-hmm. a good time together. And it's like a nice signifier. So it was a two birds with one stone situation because it was a double realization. <laughs>
1: The name of your brand, Preppy Kitchen, even though you live in Connecticut, it's not meant to be, it means something different from the New England Preppy thing, right?
3: Yeah, it was a play on words, and I was a middle school math and science teacher, and one of the things that I saw with my students, which kind of broke my heart, was like, you have these little kids, and they should be like little sponges and flourishing, but a lot of them had experienced failures, in math, in science, and they mm. thought, you know, I'm just not a good mathematician. I'm not a good scientist. I, it's not going to come naturally to me. I'm not going to do it. Mm-hmm. They don't even want to try because there's these blocks up. And one of the ways to reduce that anxiety is to take complex things, break them mm-hmm. down into little pieces, have people experience smaller successes and feel confident, know that they're prepared, and they can do it. And they change their opinion. And school means so, something so much different to them now.
2: Mm-hmm. And
3: when I started teaching people how to make food, I saw the same frustrations, the same anxiety. And you know, you hear people who might be a good baker and they say, but I'm not a good cook. Yeah. Or they're yeah. great on the grill and they're like, oh, but I can't bake, it's too finicky. And I'm like, nope, that's not true, you can do it. And I took those same lessons I had as a teacher where I was breaking things down, I was like being vulnerable and saying like, you know, I wasn't a good math student, this was really difficult for me. Mm-hmm. And I had empathy for them in that. And like, I'm a self-taught, Cook. I don't have a degree from any institution. Mm-hmm. Uh, my mom taught me how to do most of everything, so I learned mm-hmm. many lessons the hard way. And I'm always happy to share those lessons. And also on my YouTube channel, like if something goes wrong, I will show you. Like I made a caramel brownie the other day. All the caramel stuck together, in this <laughs> giant mound. And I was like, how do I, Why did I do this? <laughs> if you're doing this, put it on a piece of wax paper. Don't leave it in a bowl. Right. Don't leave it for too long. Not on a hot day. So there was like all these tips that. Happened because I did it wrong, mm-hmm. right? And that has been part of the success of Preppy Kitchen, where it's something that if you're prepared, the recipes are fun to make. It's not a point of frustration, and when you have fun, you're motivated to do more.
1: That's great. Yeah. So prep, preppy, prep, like prepping in the kitchen. That, yeah. I, I, once I once I realized that what, what that's what it was. It was it was a fun play on words.
0: Thank you. <laughs> and speaking about your YouTube channel, which is huge, huge. What came first? Chicken or egg? YouTube or the blog? The blog came first,
3: mm-hmm. and it was the blog, but like it was really like Facebook and Instagram were first where I was like showing people these creations and because people were interested, I was like, oh, and mm-hmm. here's the recipe on a blog. You can go to there, like mm-hmm. get the recipes. And then a lot of people are not step-by-step follow-written instructions people. They wanna yeah. see something. You know, like I'm a visual learner myself, so mm-hmm. like if anyone tries to give me instructions on how to get someplace verbally, I can mm-hmm. have one, one line of text I can remember and then I'm lost in the sea of words. <laughs> like, whoa, I don't know what's happening. It's like spinning around. So I understood and I was like, well, I would love to have a long format video where mm-hmm. I can really just explain things. And I, I'm pretty kind of shy and introverted naturally. So if you go back to those first videos, you're gonna see, you know, like, <laughs> like just, just trying to put the recipe out into the world and I wasn't really comfortable, like looking at a camera and right all that sort of thing. But I saw a need where my viewers from other platforms were like, oh, tell me how to make this recipe, but in detail. I'm yeah. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. give me what could go wrong. Like I need a step-by-step. So it was a format that I really came to love because as you know, doing a podcast, like time is such a luxury. Like yeah. you don't have to have just a quick sound bite. You don't have to have just the most beautiful parts of the recipe. You can really mm-hmm. go and explain, talk about the ingredients, talk about the prep warn people for some things that can and will go wrong or might go wrong. Like, just, There's so many more opportunities to talk to people. And that's the audience that really is the most
0: engaged because they get to know you better. They're the people mm-hmm. I'm hoping to see on the book tour. Well, see what I think is so great about what you do kind of across all your platforms is you're very iconoclastic. You don't follow the rules. It's YouTube no longer than three minutes. Yours are 10, 15, 20 minute long videos and they're interesting and they break all the rules. And I think some of that same stuff applies to your other social media. And I think that's great because it seems as if it's coming from your soul, it's coming from who you are, not from this external set of rules about how to do this. If you ever tried you try
3: to read a line of text mm-hmm. as an actor, like to do any kind uh-huh. of anything, I'm horrible. I cannot do it. It's painful. (laughs) It's not okay. (laughs) So, like, when I'm talking about a recipe on YouTube, I never, like, my preparation is having made it before and developed the recipe, but I don't practice what I'm going to say or have things that are pre-written. So, I'm answering these questions to tell you that, like, I don't know what the rules are (laughs) to follow in the first place. So, (laughs) it's really just me and the camera talking about food, which is something I really enjoy doing. It's
0: a point where I kind of come alive and... And that, I think, is part of the success of what you do. It's just you and the camera doing what you do. And that's what I love about the channel. Well, thank you.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I'm just thinking back to your L.A. life. And it was a very different life. And I know your husband, Brian, worked in the entertainment industry. And Mm -hmm. I remember hearing a story that you baked a cake for Reese Witherspoon. Oh, yeah, Um, yeah, Like, did your food world overlap with the entertainment world?
3: Only in that, you know people follow your accounts, restarted following me and someone reached out, I think she did, on Instagram and was like, would you like? Would you bake me a birthday cake? And I was like, yes. <laughs> 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 sure. <laughs> Were you nervous? Uh, you know, I've never made a wedding cake because I think it's so high stakes and such yeah. a moment for yes. people that I can't put that on myself. Mm-hmm. I'll right. give you recipes like, and you can adapt them and scale them up or techniques on how to decorate a cake but like, I can't be the person who makes your wedding bad because you didn't like something right. or <laughs> yeah, something, something happened. Like, Just transporting a cake is nerve-wracking. So only nervous in that I didn't want to like disappoint. So I wanted it to be really special. And right. I made an Easter cake for uh, Maria Shriver. Wow. And she just reached out as well. And both of those times, it was actually such a freeing moment because mm. I really had a luxury of time. I set aside a couple days to like go to the recipe, plan out the decoration scheme, and then do some practice work because I did like for Maria, I made a little Beatrix Potter mm. scene Aww. with bunnies rendered in Swiss meringue buttercream. Mm-hmm. And so they were like, it was very nice and relaxing and kind of intense at the same time. Mm-hmm. So I, was like, I used a palette knife to, to paint them and like put wow. texture on it was just like so freeing to have like more of an artistic moment because you're just there was no constraint. It was just like make something nice for her.
0: Yeah. Now are you yeah. best friends with Reese? No, I am not best friends. Was, I, I wanted that. That. that's what I wanted to hear that you're best friends with Reese and you're spending holidays together. <laughs> <laughs> we
3: spend holidays together with the family here on the farm. <laughs> that's awesome. Um, but we do like talk on Instagram
0: sometimes. So she's very lovely. <laughs> You know, as Amy and I were prepping for this interview, we watched a lot of your TV appearances. And one that got me was with Drew Barrymore on her show. And she started to cry over how positive and how gentle you are. And I was really taken aback. I just, I was so touched by that. How did that affect you? Well, one, oh my God, she
3: is the nicest person I've mm-hmm. ever met in my life. Like, mm-hmm. I, I knew that she, I think like, you hear people are genuine or mm-hmm. or not and like everyone says like she's so nice but like you mm-hmm. meet her and you're like oh my god you're like the kindest most emotionally open person <laughs> that i've met mm-hmm. and like she was actually my first post covid hug that i got from like a stranger oh, and no. it was like the best hug it was so <laughs> nice she's just really lovely it was so wonderful being on her show and i'm actually going back on her show to promote the book, oh, great. so I'm like so excited to see her again and made something, she loves halloumi, so one mm-hmm. of the recipes I proposed is a grilled halloumi with figs and toasty pita and like some honey, so we'll see if she chooses that or, mm-hmm. or how it'll work out, but it was so nice and just, you know, when you're around people who love food and who love people and who have like
0: gentle souls, it, mm-hmm. it's a very special experience. Yeah, Yeah, it looked like that, I was very touched Very touched by that.
1: I think that the gentleness that Drew responded to in you is something that people are really craving. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the Brene Brown of it all, I think vulnerability, it's just, we need more of that in the world. And I'm glad that part of your success can be attributed to that part of you.
0: Yeah.
3: One thing that I love about the people who, like, interact with me on the channel is they come from everywhere. Like, it's a primarily U.S. audience, but... It's global as well. So like, even though there's cultural separations and like sometimes mm-hmm. language divides and people wouldn't get along normally, when we're talking about mm. food and just having like a genuine conversation and being constructive and helpful, everyone comes together because we all love food. We all love to eat and share mm-hmm. moments with our loved ones and create like special times for celebrations.
1: And if you can find that one point of commonality with somebody, you can build from there. You just have you to can. find that first one. So you moved from L.A. to a beautiful farm in a beautiful part of Connecticut, kind of the rolling hills of Litchfield County. There's so many questions that roll out from that. Like, how did you go from being an urban person <laughs> to a farmer? How did you learn how to do it? Like, it's, tell me about that whole process.
3: Well, we kind of discovered Glitchfield County years ago and had had it in our back pocket as like maybe one day. So like Brian and I were imagining like we're old and gray and retired (laughs) and we'll go to this beautiful place and have like a slower life. Mm -hmm. And we had our kids and we didn't have a bad life in Los Angeles. It was, you know, we were thinking like, what do we really want for Lachlan and George, our kids? And we wanted to have more time with them to be... Like not stressed out in traffic, to not be like griping about the air being brown or all these sort of things, Mm -hmm. and we wanted them to have a connection with food and a connection with nature, and you know, to plant things, to grow them, to be around animals, to have space to run around and be safe, and all those things that that we felt were important for the kids. And you know, one day we just decided to pull the trigger early, and you know, Brian was like. I want to be home more with the kids too. Because <laughs> so, yeah. I was here doing Preppy Kitchen and like spending all day with them. And he's like, you know, I want to pivot too. So he changed his job and started working on Preppy Kitchen full-time because he'd always been helping me. And from that, like kind of real success came. Like we're happier where we are now. The kids do have those things. Like we have a big vegetable garden and they love helping us grow and water and like weed and you know pull carrots when they're ready mm. and some things like that. And they love seeing our bees and tasting our honey and knowing that those honey, the honey came from yeah. the flowers that we have and everything. And that's kind of how it happened. It was a big leap of faith. And I'll tell you that I am not a creature of change. <laughs> so <laughs> it was, Brian is like the one who said, I think it's time, let's do this. And I trusted him and I'm so happy I did. Did he buy the house sight unseen? I, I read that somewhere. So there was actually another house that we did buy side unseen, and the house that we're in now, we had actually been looking at many years ago. Wow. And we were thinking about like one day moving over, and I had kept a little postcard of the house. Like hmm. I never, and we'd always like looked at it. And, like had these dreams about this place, not because the house was so nice. It was just like a really beautiful place. Like the land had such a nice energy to it. it has beautiful rolling hills that you can see, and it came back on the market, and we're like. <laughs> it's meant to be let's get it so we like ditched the side unseen house that we were like in the middle of trying to bring back mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. we moved here and engaged in another project which is still ongoing but it's been like a very fun adventure with a lot of lessons learned the hard way like we're both from Los Angeles we didn't know anything about being on a well or right. you know winterizing things or how to deal with the animals and, like, what can go wrong. So there's, like, it's been,
0: like, a comedy of errors in some ways, but they're lessons you'll never forget. <laughs> so speaking of that, what have been your biggest challenges becoming gentlemen farmers? Is it beekeeping? Is it goat herding? Is it pony keeping? Is it cattle ranching? Is it gardening? It's literally all of all it. Of it. <laughs> <laughs> and, and
3: it's, you know, readjusting your timeline because it's every day. There's no, you don't get to, like, Take a day off, <laughs> like kind of like having a second set of children. It's a full time thing every day, and also like the seasons. Like as you know, we had like a really dry summer this year, mm-hmm. right. so right. we expanded our vegetable garden to a lot of other things. So there was like, a lot of watering. Like I was up until like eight thirty or nine, <laughs> watering. watering our plants because they wow. were like desperately like crying for water. Last summer was so wet, yeah, the opposite. Mm-hmm.
1: So, I mean, how did you literally learn how to? garden. Like, did you already know some stuff? Did you read books? Did you watch YouTube videos?
3: (laughs) So my mom, like, lives on, like, a small plot in Los Angeles, but every square inch of her garden is, like, dedicated to blueberries and Swiss chard Mm. and tomatoes, and she, like, loves, like, she's so efficient, and I really learned a lot from her. And then we had a garden in Los Angeles, but it was, like, much smaller, and now it's on a larger scale, so... It's always been something that Brian and I are passionate about, and now it's really just, you know, scaling it up. But it's so nice to have fresh ingredients. And one, it's like a point of pride, like, oh, I grew this. It's like, kind of like from my heart. absolutely. But also, if you ever pick an onion from the ground, give it a good chop, it's like magic. It tastes sweeter. Mm -hmm. It doesn't have those, like, those tears are not coming. It hasn't been in cold Mm -hmm. storage for six months. And it actually does taste different. (laughs) It does. It's really nice. Like one of the things that's different about like Mexican cuisine a lot of the times when you're in Mexico, is like they're fresh ingredients. Like, Mm -hmm. why is this so good? It's like, it's literally the fish was caught this morning. The tomatoes came from someone's garden. It hasn't been like stuck in a supply chain. And I'm so lucky
0: to be able to taste that. Amy, do you have a garden in your backyard?
1: I do. I I just have a four by four raised bed Mm -hmm. because I live pretty close to the city. And I can get a lot. I mean, I have zucchini, tomatoes, herbs, uh, kale. I have a rhubarb patch. And then I have some containers with, like, blueberries, raspberries. So, yeah, I feel like I get that. And eggplant. I have eggplant, too. That's right, because you love your eggplant. I think I have a pumpkin vine, a rogue pumpkin vine coming out of the patch now. I love that. Yeah. So it's been satisfying to add that to my life. Mm -hmm. But I imagine running a farm, you've got to have spreadsheets galore of, like, this is what we need to do for this animal, this is what we need to do for this, this is what, like is that kind of how you're managing it?
3: Kind of, and luckily you can have recurring orders for like hay and feed and all these things, so it's like auto-deliver. Oh, it's like (laughs) Chewy for horses. (laughs) All those feed stores, like they know that you need to keep track, so the, the truck just
0: comes and you're like, excellent. You, like me, are a first-generation American. Your mom's Mexican. Your dad is French, Canadian, Greek. And you've talked a lot about tradition and the importance of family in your home when you were growing up. What traditions are you and Brian creating for your five-year-old twins, Lachlan and George, now that you're here in Connecticut and have this gorgeous place? I love that
3: question. You know, growing up, we experienced everything as a tradition my parents discovered for the first time. Mm -hmm. So, Like mine, yes. And it was blended. So, like, my mom would make a sweet potato casserole, for example, Mm -hmm. for Thanksgiving. Mm -hmm. But her sweet potato casserole is, like, sweet potatoes with a sprinkling of brown sugar, Mm -hmm. thinly sliced apples, and some toasted pecans, and, like, a little bit of vanilla or maple syrup. Mm -hmm. And that's it. And it's, like, very simple, celebrating the flavors that came naturally. And that's, like, she's like, this is what I think it should be. And here's her sweet Mm -hmm. potato casserole. (laughs) And then Brian... You know, is not a first generation American. So we're creating our own traditions, but they're like it's a hybrid of the things that my parents came upon and interpreted, and his more, you know, like a traditional Thanksgiving meal or a traditional Christmas meal. So it's nice to have a perspective and see like what is like almost the real McCoy of what people consider like a soup potato casserole. should it have toasted marshmallows on top and maybe mm-hmm. some more brown sugar? Mm-hmm. Maybe. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like a hybridization of those two things. Things are filtered, and we also are creating traditions for the first time. Like right. this is our first family. We've never done this before. And when you're a parent, you just it becomes so much more concrete that you want to give your child every opportunity and happiness in the world. And the holidays are a special time to manifest that. So we petered out on Christmas. We would do like presents and the Christmas tree, and we'd have a dinner. But now it's like we are doing Christmas, <laughs> and there are like <laughs> decorations everywhere. It's like a more tangible holiday because the kids are seeing it for the first time and experiencing right. the magic, and you're deriving so much pleasure from that. So, mm-hmm.
1: I I love that you call yourselves the most untraditional traditional family there is. Mm-hmm. Has that been really freeing for you?
3: Yeah, I mean. We don't try to be something else. Like we're, we're just us. Like we're together as this unit, Mm -hmm. and we have a lot of similar interests, like gardening and food and everything else. And a lot of those things are kind of traditional, Mm -hmm. and that's how it works out. And it feels so comfortable and natural. And whenever we give glimpses of that into like behind the scenes in preppy kitchen or like, whatever happens at Hedgehill Farm, it becomes more tangible, and Mm -hmm. it is. uh, It's like a genuine
0: window into what happens. Let's talk about the cookbook. It really is wonderful. I got it right here. And it's personal and it's personable. And you can understand why Drew Barrymore got a little emotional. And as I was reading it, uh, there's a part where I get emotional and I'm gonna read a section from the introduction and I'm gonna try not to get emotional because it really struck me. You write, With our boys by our side, we planted our own, oh, this is my dad, Mm. we planted our own apple saplings, watched them blossom in the spring, and baked pies with the fruit in the fall. We opened a farm stand, selling our very own fresh honey, flavored chevre, meringue kisses made with eggs from our chickens, and bundles of our peonies, dahlias, and tulips. We found a small dairy down the road that raises happy, stress-free cows with a delicious creamy milk to show for it, which the boys have every morning with their breakfast. We learn never to turn up at a neighbor's place empty-handed, whether you're bringing a bouquet of flowers from your garden, a basket of tomatoes from your harvest, or a strawberry jam that you've just put up. I find that very beautiful, and it reminds me so much of my father. That's lovely, John, that really is. Mm. You're gonna make me cry. <laughs> <laughs> it's contagious, thank you, David.
3: Yeah. And- that's part of why we moved to Connecticut is like we wanted to have those moments. And mm-hmm. when I was lifting Lachlan and lifting George, and we were just watching these bees swarm around a pear tree because mm-hmm. it was in full bloom. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And they were seeing not just like honeybees, but we had sweat bees, we had bumblebees, or even some carpenter bees singing. It was like this symphony of life. Mm-hmm. And they were, it was like such a moment for all of us because it showed us like this is why, this is why we moved out here, like experienced these like, you know, had to learn how to have a well, (laughs) a well dug or a well fixed or everything Mm -hmm. else. Everything's gone wrong with the wells for us. But it was so wonderful and it's something that they'll never forget. And Mm. they look forward to, one of our pear trees is like laden with pears. And every time Mm. they see it on the way to school, they're like, can we go pick pears? And like, Uh. it's almost ready, it's almost ready. And they've been watching the progression and they are gonna enjoy picking them and They'll help me like make something with pears. we do some tarts or there's so many many delicious recipes with pears.
0: But it just reminds me so much of my dad because my dad grew so many fruits and he had a a bit of a vineyard in the back and he would graft four and five different types of pears onto the same tree. And my mom would cook with them and I would bake with them as I grew up and I would take bushels home to New York and then to Connecticut and Amy too her family mm-hmm. very much that same way so it's um it really it really struck me and i think it struck amy too mm-hmm. oh well thank you you yeah. know my grandfather who was, came from greece had
3: so many trees in his backyard mm-hmm. and he also like grew dandelions because you know a greek dandelion person salad loves dandelion salad <laughs> yeah. dandelion wilted greens like everything yep. so uh, but when my favorite tree was a kumquat tree because it Mm. was like so magical to me to have these little bursts of like contrasting flavors. And like, as a child, they're much more extreme. Mm -hmm. Uh, Mm -hmm. I'd have people pull me in because I was put, doing all these kumquat recipes in the book. <laughs> because I had this like sentimental attachment to them. And it was like my chance to like do whatever I wanted. I, I think that's like, that's a lot of kumquat. <laughs> sure. Let's, let's, Enough now on the kumquat. Let's have some different flavors. So it's like, okay, fine. We'll save it for book two. The kumquat flan is like kind of a marriage of those two sides of the family where... Mm. Like, mm, my mom yeah. loved making flans because we both love creamy things that are just the right amount of sweet, not too sweet. Mm-hmm. And... I love these kumquats and I was like, whoa, would that be like an amazing thing to have like a candied kumquat caramel situation on top Mm. of this flan. So you have like these beautiful layers of flavors and like a nice kind of almost play of textures with like the chewiness of the candy and the silkiness of the caramel.
1: So coming from California, and I I lived in California for a couple years and there aren't such visible seasons and I really miss them having grown up in New England. So I'm curious, I see that you divided the book up into seasons, and I wonder, as a native Californian moving to New England, what do the seasons mean for you? And is that why you divided the book up into them?
3: Seasons were not alien, but (laughs) having grown up in California, specifically Los Angeles, and Brian too, you know, like, it's warm and then it's hot, <laughs> <That's> Yeah. it. <laughs> yeah. There's no like, tree. there's jacaranda season where all the jacaranda trees bloom and everything's mm-hmm. like beautiful purple Dr. Seuss trees, but you yeah. don't get the fall. Winter isn't a thing. Winter's the mm-hmm. best time to visit Los Angeles because it's so temperate.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: And then we were aware of them, like we lived in New York part-time on and off, but being in the seasons full-time mm-hmm. was so like transformative for us because you got to see like this autumn that was like pure magic where, yes, the leaves are like stained glass, you know, amber is like falling gently to the ground. But on a larger scale, our kids are like, what's going on? Like you explain, like everything's falling asleep. It's going to mm. go dormant. And then winter is going to be cool. Everything's going to be resting. And then in the spring, it's... Explodes. This e- explosion. And you can smell it and feel it in the air. Like the plants are breathing and that respiration mm. and like you can just... The humidity is, I love the humidity in this way where it has like this planty smell to it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Not the summer humidity this spring. (laughs) (laughs) I know. I know. Yeah, and like it for us changed what I wanted to eat and what I was doing. Like in the winter, we're cozy in our house, we have Mm -hmm. a fire on, and we're all together. There's family coming to visit, we're having all these celebrations, and the food reflects that. So we have a lot of like rich, indulgent food. You have Mm heavily spiced things. And in the summertime, it's the exact opposite. We have peaches at the local market that are so amazing. We're growing all these amazing like tomatoes and herbs and greens and eggplants and things that you can't, you know, get all year round the right way. So Mm -hmm. you want to take advantage of that and enjoy those flavors while you're eating outside, while you're grilling, while you're doing totally different things. So I wanted the menu of the book to reflect what you want in each season Mm -hmm. and what you can get and
0: you know, have fresh and delicious. And what's lovely about it too is you follow you throughout the four seasons. So the book is used the whole year as opposed to some books where you get the book and then you make three or four dishes because you like them and that's it. This you can follow you and the whole seasons throughout and then you can cook from each one of them, which is very nice. I, I love the idea of just,
3: having something to come back to. Mm-hmm. And you know, for me, I never imagined in my wildest dreams that I, have a, I would have a cookbook. You know, I grew up in a house of book lovers. So like my dad mm-hmm. loved history. So we had thousands of history books mm. in the house, like thousands. And my mother loved it too, but she had her own collection of cookbooks. And many of them came from my grandmother and they were careworn and they were splattered with all sorts of things. They had beautiful handwriting. In the margins yeah. and lots of recipes that were totally brown from the 50s, like <laughs> that have been pasted in as well as notes on like how to serve it and everything else. And it's such an index of time and celebration and family all encapsulated in a book. And now I have the privilege of having my book be in other people's libraries yeah. and it'll get, I can't wait for these books to get dirty and splattered and wrinkled and, <laughs> you know, a bit more careworn and lived in. And they live forever. So it's part mm-hmm. of the, the magic of a cookbook. Sure. And um,
0: also the pressure <laughs> it has to be right. <laughs> and I'll tell you, one of the weird things that happens is you'll start scanning cookbooks in movies when they have a kitchen scene. And actually oh, really? there is a movie, I can't remember which one, which I saw my cookbook in.
1: Oh, that's cool. This is
0: the background. So I would prop (laughs) the kitchen with my cookbook and many others, of course. So you may see yours popping up in some movies or some television shows. Well, your cookbook is beautiful. I do do have a copy and it's signed. Oh, (laughs) Yes, thank you. So I'm not surprised it was propped. (laughs) (laughs) Several of the recipes in Preppy Kitchen are personal recipes from your mom and your dad's heritage. Why did you include those and what were you hoping to achieve when readers make them? The cookbook was such a freeing
3: moment where you have the luxury of all the space in a book mm-hmm. and you can populate it with things that you really love and mm-hmm. tell a story and do things that you just can't do in other mediums, as you as you know.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: Um, so I have some recipes that I have just been waiting to share. Mm. And this is the opportunity, like there's an avocado lemono soup and it's one of my yeah. favorite things. Like if you've mm-hmm. ever had it and had it made right, it's like, <laughs> It's like a magical medicine. So you don't have to be sick to have it. You just feel better. It's like a lemony, eggy chicken soup, and it's delicious. And of course, I'm gonna add that in. But the other aspect of it is, you know, my mom came to America and she put herself through school. So Mm. she came here initially because her dad wouldn't let her go to school and Mm. she wasn't having it. So she said goodbye and ran away and eventually started a family and afterwards went to night school to get her high school diploma and wow. you know moved all the way up to her doctoral degree oh and she gosh. retired as a teacher. So she followed her dreams and made it happen. But along the way, she took her love of fresh ingredients and her love of showing love through food mm-hmm. with her. When she came to the US though, she really explored the world through her kitchen. Mm. and. She like devours books. She fell in love with Julia Child and like all the classics. And I was like the lucky student that mm. she was teaching me and showing me these different cultures. And of course, I could I'd be remiss if I didn't include some of her explorations in there yeah. too. Like there's uh, what she calls a Swedish apple cake, and it's these poached apples, and they're like poached in a delicious mixture of things. And it's served in a meringue that has these almonds that are ground into it. Mm. And it's light. Yum. It's like just a kiss of sweetness. It's Mm. so lovely. You can have it with a big scoop of ice cream. And it's like a totally random recipe. But (laughs) it's one of the favorites. (laughs) One of the things I always like kind of dream about. Mm -hmm. And this book is filled with like my dream recipes. So
1: it was a wonderful wonderful
3: opportunity to bring those forward.
1: So, once your book tour is over, and I'm sure you're going to have a lengthy one, what's next on your to-do list?
3: Breathing? (laughs) 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 This is my first, like, first of all, I'm so excited for the book tour. Mm -hmm. David's going to be hosting one of these. And um, this has been like a baby. It's like, it takes years to make a cookbook. Part of it is like hidden under wraps. can't really talk about it while you're doing all the recipe Mm -hmm. development and everything. And then it's like an explosion. So... I'm looking forward to having like taking a little break, but then we're also going into fourth quarter, so it's like busy, busy It's, the, it's busy time for us, so we'll yeah. be just mm. going back to this. I look forward to doing I would love to be able to do more books because it's been such a neat experience just to make something tangible and concrete. so I yes. hope I get the opportunity to do that again. And I'm sure you will. Yeah,'ll just be the kids are gonna go with us on the book tour. So are that's they really,
0: wow.
3: we're gonna be like a big family caravan and They're gonna uh, love part that. of it will be get to go see my mom. So we'll be in Los Angeles and staying mm-hmm. with her for a minute. But I can't wait for them to like see all these cities and
0: um, like
3: have that experience.
0: That's great. Well, we're gonna be doing a lightning round. So we're gonna ask you four or five questions. Don't okay. think, just answer. So here we go, Amy, lightning round.
1: Okay, what is your go-to meal to make when you're dead tired?
3: I love a salmon. Salmon can, like, just be have a really simple preparation. Or any, any fish that I love, I will do that I, when I'm dead tired. And in a pinch, pasta for the kids. Mm. <laughs> Best time-saving trick in the kitchen. Be prepared. Know what you're going to do so you're not scrambling around. Preppy <laughs> <the> kitchen. kitchen. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> How about your favorite food TV show or movie?
3: Oh, The Julia Show oh, mm. on HBO. That
0: yeah. was, like... I. Cried. Yeah, <laughs> so you're lonely. not the
1: first to say that.
0: <laughs> no, and season two is going to be starting sometime soon. Your most beaten up cookbook. Oh my gosh, it's it's Julia Child's cookbook mm. that my mom had. <laughs> it's seen a lot of
3: wear and tear.
1: How about your greatest faux pas in the kitchen?
3: Oh my gosh, whisking ganache. <laughs> 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 what happened? You some, well, I just, you're, not, you're supposed to stir ganache with a spatula gently so you don't fold air into it. Mm-hmm. And on camera, I was like just trying to get these last lumps out, having some Virgo energy. And I had some French people politely tell me, like, you know, you're not supposed (laughs) to do that, I was like, (laughs) hiding my face in shame. The last best thing you ate. Oh my gosh. I had a wonderful sea bass last night. It was like crispy skin, had Mm. like a really nice, perfect cook where it just falls apart in your mouth. Mm. Mm, That was nice. So good.
1: I Yeah, I'm sad to see seep season end. What do you think are the most underrated and overrated classic dishes?
3: Gosh, I'm trying to spread the word on pavlovas and angel cakes as mm-hmm. far as a classic that's underrated. Like an angel food cake is just light, amazing. Mm-hmm. It's like a marshmallow and a cake kind of delicious baby. A pavlova is in a similar situation. And it also is like a lovely play of textures and mm-hmm. you yeah. can add whatever fresh fruit. I have a pavlova in the book too. What was the other part of it?
1: Overrated. Oh, classic overrated dishes. Oh, yeah. Gosh. This is like fighting words.
3: <laughs> <laughs> it is. I don't know. A lot of times with classic dishes that go awry, I just feel like they're like kind of mediocre. I just think that they're not done right. To be honest, mm. like even a like this is not what you're asking, but even a red delicious apple is mm-hmm. like a mealy, horrible apple that nobody loves. Mm-hmm. But it was originally developed, and when it was original, and not in its adulterated form. It was a delicious apple. Mm-hmm. So I think that a lot of things that we have where we're just like, oh, this is not good. Like a concha is a classic Mexican baked good. Mm-hmm. I also thought they were horrible, but I started making my own recipe and it's like the most amazing bread is fresh out of the oven. You can't right. sell something four days later and have it be delicious when it's a bread.
1: Yeah.
0: That's my answer. Good answer.
1: Good answer. Yeah, that is a really good answer.
0: Well, John, it was a pleasure having you on the show. We hope you'll come back. Oh, thank you so much. I am so excited to see you very soon. Yes. And um,
3: I hope I get to see both of you again on this podcast.
1: That would be great. John Connell is the wildly popular and successful founder of the YouTube channel and blog Preppy Kitchen. His first book, Preppy Kitchen Recipes for Seasonal Dishes and Simple Pleasures, is available everywhere books are sold. You can follow John on all social platforms at Preppy Kitchen. And you can also follow the goings-on of John and Brian's farm on Instagram at Hedgehill Farm.
0: Talking With My Mouthful is produced by Overit Studios, and our producer is the not preppy, but always dapper, Adam Claremont. You can reach Adam and Overit Studios at OveritStudios.com. Remember to follow Talking With My Mouthful wherever you download your favorite podcasts. And as always, if you like what you hear and wanna support us, please leave a review and rating on Apple Podcasts. Ciao. Bye, David. Welcome, John. Thank you so much for having me. (laughs) It's such a pleasure to chat with you and, um, oh no, that, sorry, I'm going that. Welcome to the show, John. David, Amy, thanks so much for having me.
2: Oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> David, David. <laughs> mm, mm.
0: Yeah, no, sorry. I realized that I don't, I don't wanna <laughs> so talk sorry. about.
2: I thought David <laughs> was saying
0: something else. Welcome to the show, John. Hey, thank you could- so much for having me. <laughs>
1: This is really embarrassing. This is really embarrassing.
0: (laughs) One more
2: time. One more time. time I promise it'll
1: go smoothly. Okay.